What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Boys, and you're here for another episode of the Facts Project. Today, special guest, you have Travis B. Hill and you have Sheldon Allen. We are here to talk about Thorn for Advent Comics. Thank you for being here to both of you. Thank you, James. Happy to be here. Yeah. Love the show. So glad we're on it. Uh, Hey, look, I'm happy to have the both of you here. So for one, uh, I got pretty much my introduction into Thorn. I'm going to say last year with uh, issue zero that was put out free to the public. And it was also on your website and you can still look that up as of right now. What Travis, Travis Hill comics.com or Travis B Hill comics.com. Yeah. Travis B Hill comics.com. Anybody who wants to read it, it is free up there. Definitely. So uh, what uh, what we're talking about, of course, we're talking about Thorn today, everybody. And of course, uh, Travis, you're you're the writer of, of Thorn and Sheldon, you are the script consultant for Thorn, correct? That is correct. Now, of course, the story in its in its truest form, as far as like the origin and how it was constructed and how it was created, um, the character itself can be a multitude of things. It can be a a story all on its own of how the dynamic of a black man in the deep South uh, can look at the normal yet immoral factors of his neighborhood and pretty much see in and take it within itself to come up with a plan and make it easier for everybody by not only just calling himself a vigilante, but actually taking care of his neighborhood inside and outside of being the character of Thorne himself. So um, when I'm looking at it from issue zero, uh, Travis, if you can help me, um, yeah. the from issue zero, where he's having a conversation in his living room with his friend Alton and a, a friend of his who's a cop. Isaiah, yeah. So you have Alton's a main character and he's got his two buddies, Isaiah, who's a police officer, and then Jay, another friend of his, who and you get more into in issue one and that kind of thing. Right, right. And you and you come to see it like, of course, with him keeping his identity low profile. Right. Talking about things that are basically have been coming up and happening in the neighborhood that Thorne has been interfering with. Mm -hmm. And the character of Isaiah can play a uh, play many parts as far as reality is concerned, because he's not only just a police officer, he's a black police officer in the deep South in the neighborhood. And he's stuck between like two boundaries. You know what I'm saying? He's, he could either be with his boys and everything, talking, shooting the shit about everything that's happening in the neighborhood, but yet he's still a police officer and that's his job. That's his bread and butter. This is the, this is how I make my money. So this whole, yeah, you know what I'm saying? This is how I make my money. <laughs> this is this is my way of life. But yet he gets into a situation literally right after the scene where uh, he gets a call and there's a, the, a young man, maybe around 15 years old, who has a gun on him. Texas is an open carry state. Mm. And out of nowhere, you know, like literally probably like three cop cars come up. Isaiah is trying to rectify the matter. He wants to basically dissolve the situation before it happens. Thorne comes in and just takes care of business. This then proves like basically like later on down the line with issues one and issues two, uh, as you, as you're going to start going through this, that there's a deeper factor that uh, Thorne is going through in the creation of the character that he displays now within his neighborhood. 
What brings him to this moment? So he is, um, if you get into the issues of one, two, three, you know, uh, issue one coming out July 5th, um, you see backstory. So it's a, it's a 12 issue series and each issue tells a little bit of his backstory in chronicle chronological order from when he's a teenager, young teenager, um, to the moment where he makes the decision to become Thorn. So you move through a lot of time. Mm -hmm. uh, probably what'll take place over about 12 to 13 years for the character in, in backstory as it moves forward. And, and he, again, the book itself deals with the, um, the, the vigilante trope of believing that you've experienced this injustice that you don't want to see others experience anymore. And so what we see with Alton in his backstory that leads him to Thorn is, is this continued experience of, of injustice in certain ways that, that he finally says, I, this can't happen again to anyone else. Um, and, and he starts to see the dynamics of villainy, if you will, or oppression um, in, a, in a more systemic way. And, and as you see in the books, he begins to deal with it. One of, one of my big things is always like, how does Bruce Wayne or how does Peter Parker deal with certain injustices outside of the mask? And so um, Alton as Thorne and Alton as, you know, community leader uh, has two different approaches to how he can, how he can do both. And so because of the ways that he's experienced um, injustice from the, you know, from a legal standpoint, from, from the justice system, um, then he kind of starts to navigate that both as Thorne and as Alton as an adult. That's, that's kind of the best way to, to say that without, you know, just giving you the, the script ahead of time. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, speaking of the, of the script, Sheldon, in your part in playing into this and when you pretty much got to read like the issue zero and just this, this first issue without looking at any type of color or ink that hit the, hit the pavement as far as just reading these first this this mini and in that first issue, what were your thoughts going in in, I guess, creating an aid to Travis and putting this together? Well, um, for me, the initial attraction for me, as with any type of comic book, is, is was the art. You know, just when I saw that art, just alone, that's what kind of sort of drew me in. I was I was interested with that. And, um, you know, let's not ignore sort of like the elephant in the room. One of the things that also attracted me was the race of the character. You know, I kind of always tell this story like years ago, I was in this this comic book creator contest at San Diego Comic-Con. And, you know, I'm a nerd, I'm a loser. You saw actually today for the Zoom, I actually tend to show up to things early. So I showed up to this thing early, which is me and my mom, and we were the only ones there. And then slowly but surely people start trickling in. Everybody just start trickling in, trickling in, trickling in, trickling in. By the hour when we're about ready to start, all the black people were at the same table. We were all sitting at the same table. We don't, we don't even know each other, but somehow we all ended up at the same 
table. And there's sort of like this subconscious pull. Um, you know, for me, when I think about it, I've, I've always kind of sort of been drawn to black characters, even in, on the DC side. I'm not even a really big DC guy, for example, but I like all the black DC characters. John Stewart, I like Cyborg. So for me, I'm always kind of sort of drawn to characters that kind of look like the world that I grew up in or that I can recognize. So that was the first initial thing. Um, the other initial thing, Travis probably isn't even aware of this, is that Thorn is, it, it, it's, I hesitate to call it an all ages book because that that kind of, you know, that can come off as a pejorative a little bit. Oh, it's a kiddie book. It's not a kiddie book, but it is an all ages book. And if you're familiar with my writing, it's like, you know, I have to like hide my books from my mom. So I was really interested <laughs> to kind of sort of work on a book, you know, that I wouldn't be embarrassed to show my mom. Hey, look, I, I, I helped work on this, mom. You know, you can actually leave this one on the coffee table. You know, it doesn't have like the robots having sex with people or anything like that. So, <laughs> you know that was a huge draw for me as well but the other thing and this was the biggest draw for me was just how passionate Travis was um and selling it to me um you know if it, it, I've known Travis for from before I even necessarily even knew that he was writing uh Thorn and one of the things I love and I appreciate about Travis and some of the other guys that I follow on Twitter is they have a passion for comic books they have a passion for this medium and I have a passion for this medium. And I can see it just the way he lit up. You know, the only other time he lights up is when he's talking about like the Mavericks or something. But just <laughs> the way he like lit up when he was talking about Thorn, I could tell this was something that he was personally invested in. And it, it kind of reminded me when I first did my creator own book a little bit, like, you know, this is personal. This is something that's personal to him. And, you know, if I can help in any way, shape or form, guide him, add some uh, some level of authenticity to, to what he's doing, it, it, it will be my pleasure. Because, you know, for me, I, I truly want to see everybody win, especially people who love comics. And if they're doing it, telling stories about uh, underrepresented, you know, demographic, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. So it, 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 it really didn't take too much convincing on Travis's part for me. Dope. Dope. Now, uh, to get into uh, the character itself, the setting is, of course, a big part of this because the backdrop, the backdrop of the the Deep South, of course, is uh, take taking place in a fictional town called Rosebush Heights, Texas. Um, now, if you could, I I know you um, you you explained to me earlier that uh, of course, well, the both of you uh, grew up in the South. So, as far as I guess what pretty much uh, drew in the setting for this story, exactly what a young black teen and yet, yet that, that grows up to be a vigilante in this neighborhood, what that would take um, to be somebody from this neighborhood to have this sort of um, this sort of passion towards this neighborhood. What did that mean to you? So um, first, the it's the Rosebush Heights is a neighborhood in Dallas mm -hmm. in the book. So um, and I modeled that after um, the Rose the Roseland townhomes uh, is a DHA uh, government housing complex that I worked and lived in um, from 2015 to 20 like 2020 November 2020 until I moved and I ran the community center so so kind of um, I modeled Alton after my boss um, over there a little bit so 
um it's an it's it's a situation i'm familiar with it's it's a you know a neighborhood in the demographics i'm familiar with and then another neighborhood very similar in, in dallas is where i go to church um called dolphin heights so i put those together i didn't want to like model it after a real neighborhood and make any neighborhood feel particularly singled out with what i was trying to say um in the book so i made a fictional neighborhood out of these places but also you know um thorn defending the rose bush right so there so there you go it, it also has that comic book um you know vibe to it in the naming of the place but so so that was a factor of where i exist um it, the neighborhood and, and a little bit you know my time in shreveport uh for the most of it i lived in sunset acres again it's it's another um if you if anybody can go to my website travis b hill uh, dot com and read the first chapter of mustard seed that's a semi-autobiographical comic about my last two years uh living in shreveport and sunset acres and so you can kind of see um kind of that how that neighborhood is depicted with some authenticity so taking in the you know my the world that i'm inhabiting right and then seeing just kind of the way that certain civil justice is is not equitable or not upheld in a certain way with the the with where i live and the people that i work with it, it kind of grow got to a point where it was very frustrating right mm -hmm. very frustrating um and so two things happened um i i mean i love comic books and i've been reading comic books since i was like can remember since my my grandma handed me like an issue of Batman, you know, Bam Pow slapstick Batman. But when I was like five and since then, I've been reading comic books. And so my thought was, what kind of hero um, you, you see? You see Bruce Wayne. Right. And what happens to his parents? And yeah. he says, I can't let this happen again. He, his whole sense of justice comes from that moment. And, and, and how he's going to define villainry throughout his life and be the force to stop it, right? Same with Peter Parker, but main, but that's more of his guilt. And there's a lot of things, but but that is a lot of the vigilante trope, right? Mm -hmm. So my, I, you know, I think about what kind of, if there was going to be a comic book hero to, to step up and stop this type of injustice that, that, that could perceive it from a young age, you know, like you keep asking that question mm -hmm. and then say, and then look at it and say, this is the, this is the evil that, that you have to stop. Then what kind of hero grows up and, right. and what do they become? Right. So that's, that's the first thing that was kind of going on. The second thing um, that I've talked about in a couple other podcasts is I, there was a, I'm a PhD student at UT Dallas. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my fields is um, civil rights history. And so, um, you know, studying that in the South is just tough all the time, just to think about and, and just the history of all that. And, um, but I got the chance to, to there was a conference um, on at UT Dallas uh, for grad students. And the, and the theme of the conference was origins and origin stories. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about kind of racial justice and, and civil rights and origins and then, of course, comic book origins. So I presented a paper um, 
where I really started thinking about this character, Thorne, uh, presenting kind of what would it mean to be a black vigilante in an anti-black world, like the way the world is shaped right now. Right. You know, just, just generally anti-black. And, and so that's where I started kind of playing with these themes in this presentation that I gave, um, which would eventually lead to the development of Thorn Zero. And so just asking those questions um, really led to a lot of this. And then, of course, um, the summer, you know, the, the murder of George Floyd kind of really had me, you know, just just frustrated in a way. And one way that I deal with my kind of anger is to write. And so that's when I really kind of got to work on the Thor, the story that is now Thorn. So that's kind of a long answer t- to your question, but that's, that's where things all came to a head. And then of course I chose Dallas just because, I mean, I, I love reading. One thing I like about, you know, Marvel comics is you can tell when the writers are from New York and they know all the neighborhoods and, I can't do that. I couldn't put the character in New York because I don't know any New York neighborhoods, Um, but I do know Dallas. And so that I can make it feel more authentic. And so I modeled again, modeled it after some of the neighborhoods that uh, that I frequent and live in and those types of things. So, right. Now you talk about that. I I would add, too, is that the the setting of the South is important, especially when you're telling the story about law enforcement, because the police they have an, they tend to have an outsized importance in the South um, in comparison to the North or, or, or the West or, or, or the Northwest. They tend to have an outsized importance. Um, the local police officer themselves are almost sort of like these mythological figures. Everybody knows them. They know of them. So they kind of sort of inhabit the city. They are an extension of the city. Um, so that setting, you know, it, 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 it's almost sort of a, a supporting character um, in itself. Um, and it, it, it's, it adds to that story. It adds to the elements of, you know, what Travis is trying to do. Um, I don't think you would have the same effect if it took place in, in, in New York or Chicago. It would have to be a different story. Um, the characters would be totally different. So um, the South, it, it, it's, absolutely critical to what's going to happen in all the you know the, the machinations that are happening there so now um i understand that throughout the story the layers can get a little bit deep um i believe uh travis you described this as if uh if thorn is batman then basically commissioner gordon is pretty much his main villain um right. so outside of that you're normal vigilante trope you're dealing with a uh a protagonist that is more so dealing with the injustice of maybe just law enforcement be it be it behold the cops um but since he is also a community leader and works at the community center he's also feeling understanding that there's um there's evils at play deep within the government itself maybe even local government maybe even outside so there's gentrification happening in this community as well. And then right. there's also, of course, uh, forces outside of um, his own understanding that might be dealing with the demise of his own neighborhood. That's why he feels he, he has to get more involved, even when he's even when he's not in uniform. Um, right. What necessarily was um, 
would you, would you say in future issues, um, we see him in these squabbles with the police and everything like that. But being how he is a multifaceted character, outside of that, when you're looking at the the character of Alton Edridge, Eldridge, what is he? What is he going to do outside of that uniform to create change in his community? Yeah, so gentrification is is a big uh, evil that he's trying to deal with, and that's something that um, you know, again, living in uh, in the Roseland neighborhood. Um, very much happened in Dallas. Uh, I live in the neighborhood I live in now because we got noticed that my my wife and I lived in uh, low income affordable housing, um, and we got notification that our apartments were being sold. Mm. Um, you know, and and our whole uh, the, the the whole neighborhood that we used to live in um, was all affordable housing, and now other than just the Dallas Housing Authority property is is pretty much all been bought up and turned into to very expensive living. And, and I got to see a bunch of the evils of that um, from, man, I don't want, I'm not, na- I'm going to, I'm not going to name any churches, but I, there was a church that I worked for a nonprofit that was religious affiliated. Mm-hmm. And there was a very specific church that we would constantly try to associate ourselves with that was very wealthy and set up in a, the very wealthy part of dallas um and they continuously told us like hey we want to help you all as much as we can but we don't want to we can't like a- adopt y'all as an organization and i was like that's fine like i understood that but like our leadership maybe didn't but the moment that neighborhood became financially lucrative they bought up the church stepped in and bought up all the property that the organization i used to work for owned and turned it into an extension church the moment it became not a low-income neighborhood but it was something that they could profit off of that was a wrap and so and i saw that happen not with just with this one church but with a couple others and i'm just like from city planning and 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 it's you know i've had plenty of conversations with dha you know and i try to present them in the book uh you know dallas housing authority is is represented in the book and and there's a lot of people um in the DHA that really want to see those housing authority communities thrive. And then there's people in the house, in the development uh, district that want to get rid of those um, housing complexes and do something. And so it's all really complex. And so, you know, you got to, Alton has to be in the middle of those and figure out how to navigate you know, housing authority, city planning, nonprofits, all those types of things, because everybody's trying to get a piece of something that could be super valuable if they can just push people out and 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 displace people and get them out of their homes and take over. And and so again, and this is stuff that was happening that happened to me, that it was happening to my neighbors. And and it's just mm-hmm. like, again, just in imagining there's somebody, um, um, God, it was a great quote. And I wish I, I have it written somewhere, but it's that that liberation is about building the plane while you're flying it. And, and mm-hmm. you got to be creative and you have to think about uh, the future in these very creative ways. And, and, you know, Thorne is a very grounded kind of gritty vigilante book, but it also isn't about, uh, you know, imagining a world where 
you get to stop that stuff. Right. And, and, and then maybe encourage other people to stop that stuff and that kind of thing. So anyways. Right. And it can also be seen as a detailed guide as to how maybe de facto local governments can be working against you sometimes. Right. Right. And so then you have to figure out who in those local governments can help you and how to navigate that. And again, I don't have all the answers. There are tons of people doing excellent work in this area. And I'm just trying to read and, and see what they're doing and their activism and, and learn it for myself. I mean, um, my, my, my pastor and his wife, uh, our first lady are very involved. Um, you know, you, Ulysse Waters is our first lady and she heads up in a, a, a justice coalition called reimagine justice that, that thinks on these things. And I get to be in these planning meetings and just, I don't do a lot of talk. I'm like, yeah, tell me, tell me how we're going to fight this and just point me in the direction. That's all we're going to do. And so, right. um, there, there's a lot of people doing good work. And if I can just highlight a little bit of it in this book and get people thinking in those directions and point, um, in those directions, then, then it's a win. That's, mm -hmm. that's it. And tell a good story at the same time. You know, I don't want to dismiss that because. Yeah. I, I think that's yeah. important too. Like it, it's, you know, some of the themes are complex and, and, and deep, but we also got to, you know, highlight that the book is entertaining and it's exciting. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. like, a, you know, yeah. that's like that old movie. Uh, was it? Don't be a minute to South Central or drink your juice in the hood. Like, it's not just like message. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's a legit dope book. You know, it's got, you know, action. It's chock full of action. Actually, it's a superhero book. Yeah. It is a superhero yeah. book. So, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't didn't, didn't bring that up. And I kind of sort of just wanted to preface my next comments by with that as well, because, you know, it, it is complex because it, it speaks to, you know, the, you know, that whole, you know, conundrum of, all right, not every problem can be solved with blunt force. You know, mm -hmm. there are issues that you can't just beat up and they're just going to go away. And then usually if you think about it, those issues are a little bit more difficult and complicated to solve. And they feed into each other more times than not, which is 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 kind of the, the dirty secret. So it kind of speaks to your point about how local governments actually can be working against some of these people's best interests. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, like I said, it, 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 there's a lot more, you know, that meets the eye uh, with Thorne. There's a lot of stuff that's bubbling under the surface. A lot of it is unspoken, but it's there if you see it. Um, like I said, it, 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 it's a superhero book first and foremost, but those things are still there. Those things still exist. And, um, you know, they're on the periphery and, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it adds up to a whole eventually, you know, Travis is working towards something and then you'll see it play out issue by issue. And it's not one of these, you know, X-Files things where, you know, he's promising you, Hey, it's going to happen. And then it, it never happens. You know, something's going to happen every issue, you know, and it's going to keep building up. Yeah. And now, and I like what Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say I like what uh Sheldon said about how it's not like message because that was something that this team from from Sheldon to myself to Mark um to Razul, uh Barry our editor, um all of us have continuously been in agreement about this can't be preachy. It can't be soapbox. It can't there mm -hmm. can't be some now every moment, you know, just like in comic books like to get something across you get to talk to the news and do like a 
a newscast right in the background. Like, but you can't even that has been very cautious about you. This cannot be preaching at any point. It has to be a story that is good and, and that the, the, the context and the subtext can be caught without having to be explicit. So that is something that I, I really, really appreciate the team that's been built because everybody's thinking in that direction about like, we got to make it a good story. It has to, like Sheldon said, it has to be a superhero story. It has to be a vigilante story. And then these other things that we're trying to do need to be woven into the context um, and the life of the story and not, you know, Chris Claremont preaching exposition or something. No, no disrespect to Chris Claremont though, because that man put X, every every great X Men character into the fold. So yeah, he also wrote but. Kitty Pry, but I won't go here. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I ain't gonna go there. <laughs> you go, you get some misses sometimes. He's definite, yeah. And it went to, <laughs> but okay, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. But um, also outside of this, just shout out to your creative team, Mark Pate that uh constructed the how the look of the character initially when you see this character in the cover photos and in the interior the outfit is beyond dope right. when y'all saw that for the first time like when he actually like constructed that i'm sure of course there was that aid of like how i wanted this character to look the ultimate like vigilante look that you wanted for him when Mark came up with that finally and just you saw a little sprinkle of couple ma color, maybe even you saw just the inks. What did you think? Man, let me tell you this. I fell out because um, I wish I could pull up what I gave Mark. I said, because I wanted the, I really wanted, because here was the thing we started. Because again, we want it to be a good vigilante superhero comic book. That's what we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the thing for me has always been what is important to superheroes on their uniform, the, the emblem, whatever their emblem is, that's what people want to buy and put on their shirts. And that's what people want. That's they want that. That's how they associate with characters. Like that's what DC has gotten right. Right. Like you see Flash, Green Lantern, Batman, Superman. Boom. Right here. That's what you mm -hmm. see. You don't even I could. I couldn't pick, I don't, you couldn't get a Thor short, Thor shirt. Yeah, they don't have, you see what I'm saying? They, that missed, they, right. some of those missed fun, the mark. Fun, right? Funnily enough, the most popular uh, Marvel emblem is probably the most problematic one these days. And and that's the Punisher one. Yeah. So, sure. Uh, right. Yeah. But it, it, it speaks, to, it still speaks to Travis's point about you right. see that Punisher icon, that logo, that's the Punisher. Yeah. You know. Yep. So I gave him. Oh, and so and gave, of course, you're, if you have kids, you're telling them don't go buy that truck. Also, now if you see the Punisher, yeah, but, that's true. Right. So I, so I, there's the 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 liberation fist, right? Mm -hmm. Um, just one, it sends a message about what this character is doing, mm -hmm. right? That 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 the the raised fist has been associated with liberation movements and 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 justice movements. I mean, you see it right now with the with the writer strike. It's it's huh? the it's the raised fist with a pencil in your hand, right? But for over a hundred years now, that that raised fist has been emblematic um, of these movements. So I thought that means something at the center of this. But what is it going to be? And so there's so when I knew what the neighborhood was, right, Rosebush, there was always this this one version of that raised fist that i love it's it's the fist with the with a rose inside of it meaning mm -hmm. we're gonna fight but we're gonna bring bring peace 
to our, you know, hopefully between us, but to our group, mm-hmm. we're going to bring peace. And that was my thing. I, I said, Mark, let's put this in the middle of his chest, a fist with a rose in it. Mm-hmm. And he goes, man, this is going to be too hard to draw. That's too many lines. He was like, this is, he's like, let me take this and let me work on something. I said, okay. About a week later, he sent it back and he was like, hey, I turned the rose into a shield. What do you think? And I fell out. I said, that's it. Like that, he's he's like, I think it hits everything you want. Like a defender, a protector, a liberator, and, and a peacemaker at the end of the day. And I said, you're the best. <laughs> like you, like Mark, Mark, the care that Mark puts into every page and every line is is unreal. And And what he did with that, was great and then as we filled out the rest of it everything he's thinking of because um as you get more into thorns alton's backstory he's a he's a boxer yeah um, so he's got a little bit of a you know kind of a daredevil upbringing like he's boxing um and this kind of thing and so mark really looked at like okay if you're a boxer like you you know how do you spar okay you're gonna wear these body pads so let's kind of construct it like this but i was like mark he's got to be in a hoodie he had there's there's that okay. that feels very because of the nature I, I still remember this moment um in shreveport in shreveport uh louisiana it's illegal to have a hood pulled in any side in inside any establishment you can't have your hood pulled if you are in your hood you can get fined okay it's a it's, it's stupid right All right but and and again if you look at that law, it's very racialized, right? Right. But I still remember the moment where I was pulled over for, I, I there was a, um, I played basketball in college mm-hmm. and I was leaving our arena one night and our campus wasn't very big. And this was in Shreveport and I was walking, you know, to, um, to meet my buddy. So, so, it's like our, our arena and then there's a row of restaurants right on the other side of our arena. Then across the street is our campus. So my buddy and, and then our dorms were on the backside of the campus. So our but my buddy was like parked in front of one of these restaurants. But it's like midnight and I'm leaving the arena and I go and get in his car and we drive off. Next thing you know, as we're kind of entering the backside of campus, we're getting pulled over, guns drawn. It's nuts. Like, and I'm like, what is going on? Step out of the car. Keep your hands where we can see them. All that kind of stuff. I'm like, what's going on? And so then eventually we explained like, yo, I'm on the basketball team here. I was leaving. They thought we had robbed the restaurant. And one of the main things the officer said was, if you didn't have your hood pulled, we, we probably wouldn't have tried to stop you or something like that. Mm. And I was just like, no, nah, I don't know what kind of show this is, but no, nah, F that, F you. You know, and so, but just thinking about the nature of the the criminalization of this hood mm-hmm. being pulled, it you know, from a personal story to seeing how it's criminalized legally in law in the law, it's criminalized, right? And it's a racial criminalization. And I said, man, let's have this dude really being what you know, cops spearing people in a hood. We you know what are we doing? And so let's give it like a middle finger to what, you know, police officers in the South or whatever. Right. And so I just thought that would be one, it's intimidating, I think. And I think it looks cool. So I think it looks cool and it's intimidating, but it's also like, you know, this thing that has been racially criminalized, criminalized 
to a ridiculous degree. Mm. So that was important to me. Um, but then Mark decked it out. Like we kind of filled out the the suit. Um, you know, he's got his thorn shooters, which you have you. I don't know if he, that appeared in the first issue, but in the first issue, yeah. Uh, I can't remember how what, what what issues he uses them in, but um, so he's got those on the wrist. We were really trying to come up with like you know thwip um, and and you know this claw. We were trying to come up with something. So a sound effect. <laughs> a sound effect that people will say and associate specifically with the character like spider-man and wolverine again we're we're really putting a lot of care into this character as we go because we want the character to be memorable um in certain ways and so i don't know if it is but you'll see as you go on it's like pift pft so mm-hmm. maybe not but now nah, we tried so anyway so that that's kind of how that suit developed but when i saw it all together for the first time the was well it was that cover to issue zero Uh, that was the first time i saw it and i was like yeah he had drawn some some design he had given me the emblem and then he had drawn a a character sheet and i was like yo this is gonna be great but when i uh, the first time i saw it was when (laughs) thorns bashing in the hood of this car from landing from on high and i was like yeah what this is this is it this this is the guy now that cover slams I gotta agree yeah. with that. Now yeah, I, would, I would I would just also just kind of interject, um, kind of sort of on a tangent, just a side note for, for just any you know aspiring writers or uh creators out there. Usually if your artist takes something that you wrote in a different direction, nine times out of ten, probably ten times out of ten, his idea is better. Yeah. <laughs> his idea is gonna be better, it's gonna be way better than what you wrote. And you never imagine that it will come out that good. So I suspect yeah. that's what Travis is, is talking about. And um, it's it's one of the reasons why it's really important when we talk about artists that they're built equally um, with the writer. Because again, it's a, it's a visual medium and a lot of the stuff they do, unless you're behind the scenes with the script and mm-hmm. seeing what's on the script, and what ends up on the page, you will never know just how much the artist contributes. So yeah, writers out there, if your artist says he's got a better idea, take just, it. Yeah, go ahead yeah. And, and let That's it. Work. That's right. Now you could have pitched this storyline to anybody. There's plenty of publishers out there that could have taken this, uh, or maybe, maybe they they wouldn't have. But you decided to go a di- different route. You. Went to Avid Comics. Uh, Tony Cottrell is, is correct. Tony Cottrell, yeah. It, was that the first person that you went to? You was like Tony. I got, I got something that probably blow your mind. So let me tell you how that worked out. Um, I here's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I put Thorn up on those like they used to have these like pitch things that you can have like on Twitter, like there was a pitch day and you can yeah, yeah. put up like mm-hmm. I put, I put thorn up there. I put uh, another comic black gun, another comic mustard seed. I put those up there just to get attention, see if anybody liked the idea or whatever. But we had this. So, so Mark and I did the zero issue with just ourselves. I okay. will say that. So like, we didn't have Tony, we didn't have Razul. We didn't have Sheldon at the time. That was just it. And I remember it, but I had been, this was in like, late 2019 at the beginning of 2020 and we had that mm-hmm. late 2019 that's right but at that point i had been 
kind of keyed in on Advent for a while. Like just huh. really enjoyed what Tony was doing um, with his characters, with Titan, with Blackfire, uh, with Crescent, uh, you know, and just kind of some of the stories he was putting out, um, some of the one shots, just kind of getting into knowing the characters. And I told Mark, I said, man, this zero issue was good. I think I thought I thought the zero issue hit what it needed to hit in terms of introducing a character and the themes and, and, and just, you know, the dynamics. Um, and I had written, I hadn't written anything else though yet. Nothing else. Okay. And I told Mark, I said, Mark, we, th- this can't happen without a black publisher. Like it just, uh-huh. and, and, and here's the thing because I am tired. I'm glad, you know, Sheldon talking about how he gravitates towards, um, you know, black characters and, and, and really enjoys those. I have been working in community centers. Not now. I am fortunate to do full-time comics right now, but before this year, um, I had been working in community centers um, in, in predominantly black neighborhoods where 98% of the kids I work with every day after school over the summer are black mm-hmm. uh, for a decade plus 13, 14 years. And I'm tired of seeing white characters. I am a comic book writer and I wanted to be able to take comic books. I remember um, there's this one short story I did uh, that hopefully will have a life later, but Dakari, the third most famous space pirate in the galaxy. And so it's this mm-hmm. kind of black Han Solo type character doing uh, this, just this goofy heist. That's what he's doing. And I had that printed and gave out copies to the kids at the community center and the middle schoolers. And they loved it. They, and that, and my thing was like, if I'm going to write comics, I'm going to do it for the kids that I work with every day. That's what I'm doing. Right. Um, And so that was a big thing for me, but because of that one mustard seed is about me and my best friend, JP Sloan, who is black. Um, And, 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 a homeless teenager coming to live with us for two years who is also black. So Mm -hmm. two of the three main characters or three of the four main characters in the story are black. Mm -hmm. Um, Black gun is, is kind of a, a fictionalized kind of it's, it's not Bass Reeves, but it's kind of modeled after that, like old West. The the main character is black. Dakari, the main character is black Thor. The main character is black. So I had a conversation with an editor at scout who I won't name Sheldon knows who I've talked about, but, um, and then I had a, a really good conversation with an editor at vault who both of them really liked the work, but they both told me, Hey, we can't publish your stuff because we just can't let you write black characters. Like we just can't, like, that's not something that, that we're willing to do at vault or at scout. And, and I'm not trying to put them on blast. Cause that's fine. That's fine. If that's what you want to decide. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking through that. I was really kind of having a, you know, whatever, like, what does this mean? Like, I'm trying to write for a particular group that I care about, like my, the kids, not, I'm not talking about black people. I'm not trying, I'm trying to write for the kids that I care about, right? That, that I do life with every day. I want them to have good stories to read. And if I'm going to, and if I'm going to be a comic book writer, I want them to read my stuff and really associate with it in some way. So I'm trying to take that with this reality of what I'm being told about my work. Like it's good, but we will never publish it. Okay. Fine. Mm-hmm. So then I, JP, my my buddy, who is he's the guy at Rutgers now. Um, 
uh, it, I told him, I was like, Hey, here's, here's kind of the reality of what I'm getting. He said, man, that's fine. But who owns those companies? And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, white people own those companies. Like, that's not like, so they're going to promote minority creators to make money for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, you know, that's fair. He's like, and so that got me thinking. So I was taking all of that in my brain and reflecting on a lot of that. And, and I finally told Mark, I said, man, we can't do Thorn unless it's a black publisher. We just can't do it. Mm-hmm. I we just won't be, it won't happen. It won't happen. I, it won't happen. And so I told him this was in September, October, fall, 2019. I said, man, if Tony Cottrell, I said, if Advent, if Tony over at Advent wanted Thorn, I would, I would die. I would just, that would be it. That mm-hmm. would be, because he asked me, Mark asked me, well, do you know any black publishers? Have you identified any? And I said, Tony's got a really cool superhero universe over at Advent. I would love that. That would be the dream for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never pitched anything to Tony, but Tony did like an open call for some of his Kickstarters where he said, hey, I need some some first issues or some giveaways to put in. You know, they Kickstarters do that like indie bundle for a dollar yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And so Tony kind of put out on Twitter, hey, I need you know, this or whatever. And I said, Tony, I've got this Thorn Zero, if you would like to include it as a as a freebie on your Kickstarter. And he said, Yeah, let me check it out. And he read it and he's like, Oh man, I love it. Let me, let me, can I I'll put it in the package? I said, Great, awesome. And this, and so about this time, I had already started like cathartically writing issues of Thorn um, with no intention of anything happening other than just me writing a bunch of scripts that take up space on my laptop i guess but hoping one day whatever Mm -hmm. so then um september 2021 tony messages me and goes hey man i got diamond distribution now do you want to bring thorn over to advent and i just i was i remember where i was i'm going to dallas fan expo this this weekend i have a table there Mm -hmm. but they were doing it in september that year i was it was i was at dallas fan expo setting up my table and i just sat down and kind of teared up a little bit and so um, I said, absolutely, like, absolutely. And I called Mark and I was like, this is it. Like, this is it. Like, we might never make a dime off this book and I do not care. I just want it to be out there with with Advent and, you know, and 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 that's that's what happened. That's kind of the story of it. Um, and so then I I told Tony I would like him to look over the script. I had an outline of the first four issues and then kind of a loose outline of the 12 issue series. And he looked it over and said, yeah, yeah, I like this. And uh, let's set up a meeting. And so we met to kind of talk out the specifics. And he was like, do you guys just want to like try the first four issues or what do you guys want to do? And I said, Tony, whatever you want, but this story is 12. And he goes, let's do 12. I said, okay, awesome. And so from there it was a go and and we started working on it and then eventually mark and i kind of both decided um hey we need eyes that are our eyes are a little too white for this we need to bring some some you know black voices into to the script process to the story process right and we both agreed on that and and so um the first i I'm telling you, Sheldon has always been the person I was like, man, if I could ever co-write a book with anyone, mm-hmm. it would be him. Because if you've read any of Sheldon's dialogue, it, it, 
it's the best dialogue. I continue to say this. I've said it on like every podcast I've been on, but it's the best dialogue I've read in comics, period. doesn't matter because it just feels so natural. Every character has a unique voice. Um, and, 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 and Sheldon really understands uh, who his characters are and, and, and how not just what they want or what, it, but how they speak. And, and I remember, I, I, again, I tell the story all the time. I was in forbidden comics with Mark in New York and we were just walking around and I was just flipping through some, you know, reading the first couple of pages, whatever, reading the first couple of pages of issue ones, just picking them up, flipping through them. And I picked up snatched mm. Sheldon's series. And I read the first couple of pages and said, yo, what is this? And I sat there, I, I read the whole thing in like 10 minutes. I just was like, and then I bought, there were a couple of issues on the shelf. I bought like all three of them or whatever was up there uh, immediately. And so then I found Sheldon on Twitter, like as I was leaving the store and then like sent a message and be like, yo, I love this book. Like when's the next one coming out? So, and now I've read like all of his stuff. And, and so when it came I, time, I, I, I never get tired of that story, by the way. FYI. <laughs> Just the truth. I, I, I did want to say something too, though. Just listening to Travis speak, um, just how I was saying that, um, you know, it wasn't a message book. I think it's important also to emphasize too. I kind of just grimace about and, and bristle about this in in general, not just with Thorn, but just in a lot of media that um, this can apply to. I hate the notion of okay, this is a black movie or or this is a black comic book. Um, Thorn is for everybody. Mm-hmm. Thorn, thorn, thorn is for everybody it is not just for a black audience it's for white audience latino audience asian audience it doesn't matter it, it's for everybody because um i know you know james and i we, we were kind of briefly talking we we're making a little joke about um about spider-verse uh film uh, before the zoom started and you see how much money that film made yeah it's opening the weekend you go to the theater you look around you see America represented. You see True. every demographic there. You see little white kids dressed up as Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. So if you do your story right and you're true to your characters, those themes, they're going to transcend race. So yeah, the black characters are up front and I'm not trying to you know, diminish the importance of representation because it is important, but it's also important for me to tell people, you know, just because a story has black characters front and center doesn't mean it's only just for that audience. You know, we're talking about adventure. We're talking about themes of gentrification, which, by the way, affects everybody, which is you, you can make an argument is as much of a class issue as much as it, it is a race issue. Um, we're talking about issues of vigilantism. So this isn't just the black issue. This is this is an American issue. So um, it, it's also important for me to get that across as well. You know, that's something something that also um, attracted me. Um, you know, when we talk about superheroes, the thing is, you know, I, I was thinking about this like like a couple of months. It's like insane how much of my worldview and my sense of justice has been shaped by Superman or Batman. For sure. It, arguably, they've had more of an impact on my worldview and how I approach justice than any civics lesson that you can give. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm relating to Batman and Spider-Man and Captain America, Superman, you know, Blade, John Stewart, Luke Cage, all these guys. That came from comic books. And right. so, um, you know, Thor, it, not, excuse me, not Thor, but Thor gave me that sense of justice. You know, 
how are we going to approach us? It made me, you know, it, it just kind of gave me that feeling, you know, when I first started reading comic books and, and how I was just drawn into it and sucked into that world. So it's, it's just important for me to just put that out there as well. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I, um, yeah, so immediately my, my first thought when Mark and I were having these conversations was to bring Shelton on. And we've had so many conversations since then about these things and, and, and just Sheldon's understanding of the medium, not just comic book medium, but also the vigilante genre has been super helpful. In addition to what I think is fantastic dialogue notes always. Um, and then Rasul Barry, Mark knew him through a, a former coworker who now works with Rasul. And Rasul is, um, he's a, he's a pastor in New York, but he's also a film uh, producer. Uh, he produced the film, um, documentary film juneteenth faith and freedom which is now on like every major pbs market and will be shown all month so and he's won like so many awards for that documentary so he's a he's an award-winning documentary uh filmmaker um and he also runs a, a successful podcast called uh, where you from and so you know he's he understands story media medium these different types of things so mark just wanted to get his uh, opinion on Thorn in general, mm-hmm. kind of blank slate, gave him the zero issue and he loved it. And so they met up, talked. Mark was like, yo, you got to meet Razul. We just, you know, we should talk about Thorn. I was like, well, awesome. Let him read issue one and two because we had issue one and two done completely, art, everything. Mm-hmm. So he reads them. And then we set up a little Zoom meeting and we're just talking because I just want his feedback. We just wanted his feedback and he wanted to give some, you know, just some feedback. And he was like, can I give you some comments? And he broke down like everything that he would do to enhance issue one and two. And I'm just taking those. Mm. And I'm like, yo, this is awesome. Like, you, like these few notes, I could probably find them now, but these few notes like leveled up the book. And, um, and so then, you know, we set up another meeting like a week later and we were like, Rizal, do you want to, I know you're doing a million things, but do you want to be the editor of this book? And so he's like, well, I have this going on, this going on, this going on. I said, I'm not hearing a no though. I'm not hearing a no. And so he eventually um, agreed to come on as the editor. And so just been great. Um, have, you know, four people in dialogue about the story and then believing in it and, and five, including Tony. You know, mm-hmm. Tony being willing to take a chance on it and, and think that it had value. I mean, I'm I'm still humbled, so humbled that he reached out to me and 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 wanted the story. And and my eventual goal, because right now um, uh, the story is kind of in a vertigo to DC Comics type thing. It's it's on the imprint side. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've had preliminary talks about bringing it over into the main universe after this run and, and making some guest appearances in other books and doing some crossover. So we're trying, we're planning that out. But my eventual goal is to, is to let this character go into the universe and then eventually someone else write it just like someone else wrote Batman after, you know, Bill Finger and Bob Kane, somebody, and, and just because there are other people who, who can see what Thorne's purpose is and can, can think about, creative ways of liberation and defense against injustice than I can. And that maybe our whole team of four people can. And so my hope is it's a character that has a life outside of me and, and that other people can weigh in on um, how to take 
what the character stands for and continue to move forward. That's what I think is great about good vigilante and superhero characters like Sheldon, you know, referencing Superman and Batman and Justice is that they can continue to evolve to fight the problems that, that people face mm-hmm. um, and, and speak to injustices that people face. And so, again, that's that's been ever since Tony called me uh, and and or, or hit me up about bringing Thorn on. That's been my hope is that someday this character outlives me and someone else takes it over. And, and I mean, I have 12 issues under contract and 24 mapped out. And then after that, I would love to hand it out, hand it off. Just some, Sheldon can write it all next after that. I'll be tired. You know what? Look, I, I feel as though with, with the story itself, you got you definitely got a lot of people uh, behind you and definitely a belief system between five people that this this character can uh, essentially just thrive throughout like basically those entire 12 issues and do extremely well. And with somebody like Tony basically doing a lot of the distribution and the creative team and the, the writers and the editors that are involved, it can only go sky's the limit, you know? So for one, I appreciate the both of you for being on here, Travis, Sheldon, this has been, this has been amazing. This is a, a great talk. Um, now note, um, I know on previews, a previews world, uh, Thorn will, um, will get in everybody's hands. Was it July 5th? If July you, 5th is the if release date in shops. Yeah. yeah. If you, if you order it now. So, yeah. so for anybody that's out there that, that, that wants to get a chance of getting this book now, issue zero is on Travis's, uh, web, website. That's travisbhillcomics.com. Correct. That's right. That's right. Yep. And, uh, issue one is uh right now for pre-order and we'll get in everybody's hands was it right after uh, right of july 5th correct so so pre-order is closed it closed ah. a couple of days ago so gotcha. if you're listening to this you're just gonna have to hit up your local shop if they don't have it um you know you can reach out to me at, or advent to see how many extra copies uh they're gonna have in their own uh store um but if not it'll be available uh, digitally i believe on global comics so hmm. okay yeah so that's so so right now you're you're i mean if you've i want to read it please and hit me up and i'll try to my best to get you a physical copy just don't know what the numbers are going to look like yet um but it will be available digitally if you miss the pre-order window got you definitely yeah. so trav shelton thank you for being here this has been amazing uh, thank you everybody for joining us. Get Thorn while you can. If if uh, you were able to get it digitally on Global Comics, do that. So for Grandmaster Facts, James Grandmaster Facts voice, Travis B. Hill, Sheldon Allen, we are out.